Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Questioning Christianity podcast. My name is Dan McClellan. I'm your host. And my guest today is Dr. Rob Helton. <laughs> hey, Rob. How you doing? Hey, Dan. How you doing? I do pretty well. We are uh, sort of getting ready for Christmas. And uh, that's what this episode is about. It's about Advent um, and getting ready for the Messiah. And uh, we're going to talk about sort of what the first century the the jews in the first century what they were thinking as they were expecting the messiah then tied into how we are but um i just need to know rob as we're sort of preparing for christmas do you have you know like one gift that you'd like to get this year have you asked santa claus for anything yeah well uh, i haven't thought about that much because i don't have a lot of expectation of getting anything but let me think for womp, a second womp, womp. <laughs> Um, well, you know me, I always want a new fishing rod and it's not like just any old fishing rod. It's like a, an Orvis fly fishing rod. An Orvis. Okay. Top I mean, of the line. Are you going to get this? Or is just something that you'd like to have? Oh no, there's not a chance that I'm going to get it. But oh. I mean, if you're asking me what I would like to get, yeah, then, yeah that's what that is that, would is be that like a, like a $3,000 fishing rod or something? Well, you can spend that much on one. I would not do that personally. Um, but there is one that the whole outfit would probably be in the range of a thousand to twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars rod reel line and everything. So gotcha. Yeah. And that if you haven't be- heard this before, Rob thinks of fly fishing as a spiritual experience. Um, but is. I'm curious, do you ever find yourself calculating the cost per fish? No, that would be very, very disappointing. <laughs> okay. That's why uh, I didn't renew my license last year. I did the cost per fish was. Yeah, you can't measure things that way. You have to be more of a spiritual mystic than that. <laughs> you have to go and do the practice you know the mystics emphasize the practices mm-hmm. in the west we emphasize we always say what do you believe but in the east they say what are you practicing and so you know whatever your spiritual practice is mine is fly fishing then it has its own inherent value in the practice itself gotcha well, so. I, you know, I'm also a spiritual mystic and so for christmas i'm getting tickets to see the foo fighters Uh, they're coming to charlotte and uh, my daughters she sort of likes them it's uh, one band that we both uh, enjoy so i sprung for tickets we're going to be on row g okay right in the center so that's great but that's not fun with that i think the eagles are coming sometime soon I didn't know there were enough Eagles still around. Well, um, that's why I'm not trying to get tickets because, you know, Glenn Fry's gone. Oh, he's my favorite. Uh, yeah. And um, Joe Walsh is kind of stealing the show these days. But I think Glenn's son is touring with the group now. And uh, what's that country singer? Vince Gill. Vince or, Gill. Vince, yeah. yeah, Vince Gill is with them. What's the drummer's name? Don Henley. Don Henley. Yeah, man. Why is my mind not working? Somebody that went to one of these concerts where they're touring now said that he was like a real downer the whole concert. He wouldn't say thank you for the applause or anything. It's like he just, 
he had to be there because he had a contract to fulfill or something. <laughs> I never so, really liked Don Henley. Most of the songs that uh, by the Eagles that I like were sung by somebody else. But um, yeah, what concerts <laughs> are you going to see? Are you going to see Sticks or the Doobie Brothers or the Eagles or the Foo Fighters? <laughs> Let us know. Send us an email at questioningchristianitypodcast.com. All right, back to Christmas. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're um, we're talking about John the Baptist here. Let's start in Luke chapter three, and we'll use this as sort of our jumping off point. But um, John's really his job. Um, he's a cousin of Jesus, uh, but he he was supposed to sort of get people ready um, mm-hmm. for for Jesus's coming. So um, that seems like an appropriate place for us to start as we try to get ourselves ready. Yes. Uh, do you want me to um, to take a read at this, or do you want? To, oh, sure. Uh, do I have it. to read all these names and stuff? Is that important? Oh, yeah, that's that's important. That's oh, extremely really? important. Yeah, they're there. I mean, Luke thought they were important. All right, we'll give it a shot here. So Luke chapter okay. 3, it was the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar. These men were under Caesar, Pontius Pilate. He was the ruler of Judea. Herod was the ruler of Galilee. Philip, Herod's brother, was the ruler of Ituria and Trachonitis, I don't know. And Lysanias was the ruler of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, a command from God came to John, son of Zechariah. And John was living in the desert. And he went all over the area around the Jordan River and preached to the people. He preached a baptism of changed hearts and lives for the forgiveness of their sins. Just as it was written in the book of Isaiah the prophet, this is a voice of a man who calls out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make the road straight for him. Every valley should be filled in, every mountain and hill should be made flat, roads and turns should be made straight, and the rough roads should be made smooth, and all the people will know about the salvation of God. And then John said, you poisonous snakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm reading from the International Children's Bible, by the way. That's the one I, I like to read. That sounds like a pretty good translation to me. You did you did good, by the way, with the names and everything. Thank you. you I've never good. been to Abilene. Yeah, well, they may have pronounced that Abilene, but you did great. I've heard it both great. ways. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot is going on in this text. One of the primary things, I think, is um, the concept of salvation, which is the very last verse you read, verse 6 says that all people will see God's salvation or all people will see the salvation of God. The text in Isaiah that John is quoting says all people will see the glory of God. Everything else is almost word for word. John emphasizes salvation, which was a um, primary theme of first century Judaism because it was a time when the Jewish people were really anticipating the coming of their Messiah who was going to bring them salvation. And they had a very definitive understanding of what salvation was, specifically that the Messiah would come, the Messiah would lead a great army to kill all of his enemies. Then the Messiah would take his place on his throne in Jerusalem and return Israel to her former glory. 
And so if you walked up to a, a Jewish person in the first century, and actually, if you walked up to a 21st century Israeli now, and you said, tell me what the definition of salvation is, that would be the definition that they would have given you. Okay. I think that's why Luke lists all of these political players. Oh, so there was a reason why I had to read those crazy names. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's the list of all the movers and shakers. All the power brokers are represented in that list. All the people who had political power are represented. All the people who had economic power are represented. And all the people who had religious power are represented in that list. But Messiah is coming to bring salvation and deliver the Israelites from the oppression of all of those people in power. Okay. Okay. So that's what salvation was for them. And the Messiah that they got was absolutely not this kind of Messiah. To tie it back into the Advent theme, Advent is all about our expectation of the Messiah. And one of the questions is, what kind of Messiah are you expecting? And John the Baptist is in that group too. Like John is expecting, you know, some sort of warrior Messiah to oh, yeah. to, to free them. Okay. So he's yeah. he's also off base in his expectations. I think so. Yeah. You have to remember that God pretty much famously uses people who don't have a clue, you know. <laughs> you know, God can always speak through people even when the people that he uses have some other agenda or some other expectation. And John is, John is just one of those people. The same thing with Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. Mary's song, the Magnificat, she sings this song after she it's revealed to her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. But she thinks she knows what the Messiah, who the Messiah is. He's going to dethrone all of these power people. You know, the, the those who are raised up will be brought down low. Those who are who are low will be raised up. And she didn't understand either. And she, you know, and God uses her as the vessel through which the Messiah comes into the world. The truth of the matter is, Dan, that nobody, and I mean nobody, who followed Jesus, who were part of his kind of his entourage, his his disciples, several women who kind of joined that group of disciples and helped to support Jesus financially, Jesus's own mother, and certainly his brothers did not, and John the Baptist. None of them expected Jesus to come and do anything other than what they anticipated Messiah would do. Their concept of Messiah was kind of like um, a national hero of theirs who lived about, uh, well, around 200 years before Jesus came, and his name was Judah Maccabee, and he led a revolution against the Seleucid Empire that controlled the Jewish people at that time, and Judah came on the scene and and led a, a revolution and won and defeated the Seleucid Empire and won the independence of the Jewish people for about 100 years, and his nickname was Judah the Hammer. And most people believe that the reason he got that nickname was because the, a hammer was his favorite uh, weapon, his weapon of choice. So you can imagine this guy, Judah Maccabee, in the throes of battle, killing his enemies. He would have been, for the Jewish people, kind of like George Washington is for the American people, you know, about the same 
we're about 200 years removed from George Washington. They were about 200 years removed from Judah Maccabee, but they can still look back and remember the good old days. You know, Israel was great. And if we just had another Judah Maccabee, and that's what John the Baptist was expecting for Jesus to be. Gotcha. And did Judah Maccabee chop down a cherry tree? Yeah, with his hammer. He beat it there. <laughs> he, he beat it down with the hammer. And he, and he told his parents because, I mean, there's no point in lying because obviously someone had hit that tree with a hammer. Exactly. Told yeah, for sure. So all of these <laughs> all these people had expectations that were different from, from what Jesus turns out to be. Um, and I guess yeah. we can put ourselves in, in the story here in a second. I, I was just sort of thinking about, you know, the concert next summer. If, you know, when they, when they say, ladies and gentlemen, the Foo Fighters, if uh, Don Henley comes out, I'm going to be very disappointed. Is John disappointed that, you know, is, is that why, oh gosh, I don't know how to ask this, ask this question. Is Jesus actually the Messiah? Yeah, of course, a lot of people ask Jesus that question, and Jesus never did answer it directly until Peter made that announcement. And then Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. So Jesus acknowledges it with Peter's confession. Okay. Okay, so when Jesus did not you know, step into those shoes of Judah Maccabee, And when he did not fulfill that expectation that everybody had of the Messiah, then they all decided that he wasn't the Messiah. That's partly how he ended up on the cross, Mm -hmm. because he would not fulfill those expectations. Some people would argue that Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus, did it not for the 30 pieces of silver that he got, but he did it to force Jesus's hand. He believed that Jesus uh, had the power. He had seen him work miracles. He believed that Jesus had the ability to lead a great army, but he just needed a little push. And he, he thought if he backed Jesus into a corner, he would go ahead and call down fire from heaven or whatever. Whether or not that's true, nobody knows. But the point is that the disciples, right up until the time he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, are believing that Jesus is going to be this kind of Messiah. And instead of killing his enemies, Jesus died for his enemies. Instead of leading his people to hate their enemies, he taught them to love their enemies. They just did not get it until after he had been resurrected from the dead. Gotcha. Now, are we able to sort of put ourselves in the story? And, you know, we're coming up on the season where we commemorate Jesus coming into the world or our salvation coming into the world. Um, What do we need to do as far as our expectations? Can we do better than the disciples and John the Baptist this Christmas? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's look at it from this perspective. In all fairness to the first century Jewish people, they had a lot of scripture to back up their messianic expectations. They had Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah, who prophesied that Messiah would come. He would come with vengeance. He would bring judgment and wrath. So all they had to do was go back and read their sacred scriptures to develop this concept of who Messiah was supposed to be. And so when Jesus did not come 
and, and fulfillment of those scriptures or what they believed was the fulfillment of those scriptures, then they were disappointed. Okay, so in our world today, and depending on what part of the Christian tradition you come out of, a lot of people have the same kind of idea that when Jesus comes again, he will come as a great warrior and he will kill his enemies. And just like the first century Jewish people, we have sacred scriptures to back that up. We read the book of Revelation and we read these passages that are very highly symbolic, like Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus comes back. He's riding a white horse and a sword comes out of his mouth and slays all of his enemies. Well, instead of thinking that might be symbolism for something else, we assume that it's that it's just a description of how Jesus is going to kill people. We sort of have the same problem, I believe, at least from my perspective, that the Jewish people did. They could not bring themselves to accept a Messiah who wouldn't let them hate their enemies and kill their enemies. Jesus has already done what brings salvation to the world when he died on the cross. That's what brings salvation to the world. He's not going to come later on and bring salvation to the world by riding in on a white horse and killing everybody that we believe should be killed, which, by the way, we never think that that includes us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Coming back here, we get, you know, we come full circle back to Advent. And the big question is always, are we ready for Messiah? Are our expectations of Messiah on track? And if Messiah comes, do we really want him? Hmm. So I can't answer those questions for you. Uh, you have to answer that for yourself, I would invite you to really give this some serious reflection and thought. If your Messiah that has to show up slaying all your enemies and taking you into heaven, then I would argue that you're no more ready for the Messiah than the first century Jews were ready for the Messiah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of all these uh, great Johnny Cash songs, like the, uh, the man comes around or God's going to cut you down. Um, oh, yeah. They're, they're great. They're great tunes. Maybe yeah. they're theologically damaging, <laughs> um, but we are right. We are right there. Like nothing has changed yeah. between yeah. our time and first century. Like we both have the same expectations and I've heard it growing up my whole life. And so I guess my first question is, is Advent then, is that really about Jesus's second coming? I always thought it was just like to commemorate the first time he came, like a, a remembrance of Christmas or something. Yeah. Um, is it is it more well, about the second coming? And then I guess my second question is: so then, what will happen if yeah. uh, if our Messiah is not the way that that we think he's going to be? Well, all of those are really good questions, and I think we need to have kind of a broad scope, a broad understanding of the concept of Advent. Advent is just the Latin word. Adventus, which means arrival, the concept of the arrival of Christ. I think Christ is always arriving. Christ is always coming. Or we can say it this way, Christ has come, Christ is coming, Christ will come. And so are we ever ready for the coming of Christ? And we take this season of the year to try to wrestle with that question really seriously. For instance, when you go to work tomorrow, well, you don't, you don't go to work. I forgot. You're, you're, you're working from home now. So 
you don't have this situation, this scenario. But say you say you were working in an office and you went to the office to borrow, and someone in your office who has just been a real pain in your side for a long time, you know, does one more thing to just tick you off or maybe pulls the rug out from under you, takes a promotion away from you, you're facing that situation. What kind of Christ do you want to show up? You know, is the Christ, your, your Christ expectation, is it for this guy to get what he has coming? for him to step out in front of a bus or, or at least for the, the boss to realize what a skunk this guy is and, and fire him and lose his job, and, you know, get kicked out of his apartment or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps going. Or, well, he's a yeah. poisonous snake after all. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Or is it the expectation of a Messiah showing up to somehow rescue this person from his self-destructive bent and the way that his life brings destruction into the lives of others. You know, which Messiah are you expecting to arrive? I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I just sort of went with that idea that came off the top of my head, but, but we're always challenged, you know, what Messiah are we looking for? Cause that affects how we interact with people. And yeah, and our do our daily life. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I like that because that that makes it really practical, and it's a way to think about. You, you said you know Jesus came and is coming and will come, and, and and so that's sort of a way to to visualize you know an, an experience. I think to some degree we can all relate to. If all we're doing in the season of Advent and Christmas is commemorating a birth that took place. 2000 years ago, then we're narrowing this thing down to the point of, well, it becomes just that a commemoration of a past event instead of something that we actually have to grapple with in the present moment. Yeah, you, you uh, become like Ricky Bobby from the movie Talladega Nights. Oh, yeah, yeah I love that. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> prays the, what is it, Dear Lord Baby Jesus. He prefers the yeah. baby Jesus. Yeah, I don't, yeah, don't give me the grown-up Jesus. I don't <laughs> want him. I want the baby Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So decide this Christmas if you want to, uh, if you want to approach life and the season like Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, Might be exactly. Year. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it, Rob. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, to talk about while we were on the uh, the subject of Advent and Christmas? Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe we could talk about the Eagles and the Foo Fighters a little more. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh man, uh, I uh, I'm looking forward to that concert. So uh, yeah, the, y'all have fun. Uh, the Christmas that. present That's to myself. Good. Very good. You deserve I, it. Well, yeah, I know. I've been a good boy this year. Um, sure. If you have feedback or questions or even criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact us through our website, which is questioningchristianitypodcast.com. You can also uh, reach us through Facebook, facebook.com slash questioningchristianity. Uh, Rob, I appreciate it. I think uh, we'll wrap it up there for this week. And we'll see everybody next time on the Questioning Christianity podcast. All right. All right.